I can't ever go to my brother. I can't ever tell them to change or help them change. I can't have that hard conversation because I know I'm still sinful. To remove the log from our own eye first doesn't mean you become perfect. If you wait until your life is perfect to lovingly encourage and challenge anybody, you will never do so. See, you and I will not be perfect this side of Christ's return. It just won't happen. You will always sin and you will always do the wrong thing and you will always mess up and that's why we continually come back to Jesus. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. I hope I turned it on. Oh, there, I think I can hear it. Cool. I am glad you guys are here. It is so good to be here with you. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam, and I am the pastor here at The Point. Uh, We have now been in this space together for like six weeks, and I tell you what, I'm really thankful that we can be together and that we can be together in this space. Uh, I hope you are as well. I believe God is up to something and 2020 is not just a year he's throwing away and saying it doesn't really matter, we'll see what happens. In fact, I think this year has been really good. Anybody else agree? I mean, I know, sure, all kinds of bad has happened, right? And and this world really looks upside down and things are kind of crazy and they don't make sense and there's been a lot of pain and yet I think God is doing something really good. I think through this season of turmoil, God is actually uniting his people. Through this season of chaos, God is moving people to say, I need more of God in my life. And also, I want to love my neighbor different than I have before. So over the last several weeks, we have been talking about how we love our neighbor. And I found that video, well, actually, Emily found that video. She's really good at finding videos. And I really liked that video. It begins with this journey of walking with people, this forging, this making, and being remade. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, according to Proverbs. See, you and I have some rough edges. 2020 has certainly shown that about the church. You and I have some rough edges that are not very good for us or for one another. And so we have a responsibility as the church to sharpen each other, to get a little bit better. Not as in like fix your mess and then you can come in and be a part of this. No, we have a responsibility to get a little bit better and that when we come before Jesus, Jesus wants us to come as we are and then become who we were made to be. He wants to take those rough and sharp and broken edges and polish and shape and form them into someone new in his likeness. Someone who loves your neighbor as yourself or even more as he has loved you. 
And so as we seek to love our neighbor, as we seek to grow in loving our neighbor, I have to admit today is probably the most uncomfortable of the weeks. You see, so far in this series, as we've been talking about loving our neighbor and who is our neighbor and how do we love them and what does that look like, I have found each and every week I am not very good at these things. You see, I find the more we dive into God's word, the more I realize just how inadequate I am and how much I need Jesus. And so for the last several weeks, throughout the week, I've been thinking about the things that we said previously and the things I'm going to say, and I've been challenged in moments where I really didn't want to, to stop and to love my neighbor, to be the one who sought reconciliation when there was wrong between us, to be the one who loved those who were least like me. I have intentionally tried in the last several weeks to love well. And it's been really encouraging and really difficult. And today, as we talk about loving well, we're talking about that time when your love requires you to have hard conversations. Do you like to have conversations with your neighbor, with your brother, with your parents, with your friend that require you to challenge something they're doing or challenge something they hold dear? I find those conversations to be really difficult. But if we as the body of Christ, the the community of Christians want to sharpen one another to love our neighbor more, there are times in our life when we have to speak directly to things in the lives of others that we don't want to speak to. Maybe it's their spending habits and we know the way they spend money is actually destroying them. Maybe it's this anxiety that they have because they spend so much time on social media. They're filled with all this fear and panic and we need to be ones who speak to them and say, that isn't good for you. Maybe it's an addiction, a substance, a thing they can't seem to shake, a lifestyle, a behavior pattern, something that is ingrained in who they are that is a part of their identity that is unhealthy for them and whether the world embraces it or not we maybe have a responsibility to speak and say, this isn't good for you. Jesus has so much more for you. But unfortunately, these really hard conversations, these tough conversations, often don't go well. Have you ever noticed that? You try to say something to somebody who needs this love of Jesus. You try to challenge and encourage them, and all you find is the relationship gets more strained and they want less to do with what you have to offer or what you say at all? Or maybe you try entirely to avoid the conversations. If I just love them enough, I won't ever have to say that's not good or that's not right. We begin today with Ephesians chapter four. Paul is writing and and just before this, he's writing to the church about all these people who are being led astray, who are believing all kinds of silly myths and controversies and quarrels and all these people who in all of these wild things they're believing are failing to see Jesus. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, rather than being distracted by all these controversies and quarrels and silly myths and fighting about things that don't matter, we are to speak the truth in love with the goal and the outcome and the purpose of being built up in Christ. 
of building one another up. That's a really key thing. If we're going to speak the truth in love, our goal has to not be to tear them down, but to build them up. If you ever set out to speak the truth in love with any other goal, from the beginning you're going to fail. We are called to speak the truth in love, but how do we do this? Well, I made a little graph. Actually, once again, I'll admit my wife made it because she's better at these things, but I asked her to put these things in here. A little chart of what it looks like to speak the truth without love and what it looks like to have a lot of love without truth. Now, this isn't exclusive, just one way of thinking about how I think most of the world operates. Here in the bottom corner, you have the person who doesn't care about truth and they don't care about love. Maybe you know this person or you've been this person, the antagonist, the one who simply wants to set the world on fire and watch it burn. If they believe that Sasquatch is the mayor of Knoxville, they don't care if there's no evidence or no proof. They're going to tell you that you're wrong and Sasquatch is the mayor and you are an idiot for not believing that. They're going to call names and say hateful things and tear down your character because it doesn't matter if they're right or not. They simply want to be heard and be loud. You ever been that person? Obviously not in person. You'd be too kind in person, but on social media, as long as your opinion and your prerogative and your perspective is the one that is heard, it doesn't matter if it's true and it doesn't matter if it's loving. You said what you needed to say and that was good enough. You have the antagonist who doesn't care about truth or love. They just say what they want to say and who cares? Then you have almost the, the worst opposite side. The person who doesn't really care a whole lot about speaking truth, but they really care about loving their neighbor. Like, I really want to be a loving person, so I won't say the hard things because that might feel bad. This person here in this corner, I have the enabler. The person who's willing to support any habit, any addiction, any problem, because they just want to love you. It's not my job to say that your addiction is killing you. It's not my job to say that your lifestyle, your friendships, your relationships, your money habits, these things that are unhealthy, it's not my problem. I just need to love you and accept you the way you are. You ever heard this? The enabling mentality of a whole lot of love and very little truth is the one that drives most of our culture. Most of our culture says everybody love everybody and I don't have a responsibility or a right to tell you what you're doing is wrong. Your truth is your truth and if that's the way you want to live, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. But when we as Christians live like the enabler who doesn't care a whole lot about truth in the name of love, we actually bring more harm to our neighbor. You see, our neighbor, if they're doing something hurtful, they need to know that it's not good for them. If you consistently are racking up debt and credit cards that you can't pay because you feel bad and lonely and you want to spend your money to make yourself feel better, but it's money you don't actually have, that's not good. And it's hurting you and it's hurting others. If you find yourself overeating and indulging in really unhealthy practices to try to numb the feelings you're feeling or to try to fit in or simply because like me, you have so little self-control, you keep going back to it. Somebody needs to love you enough and say, this isn't good. You're worth more than this. 
But oftentimes we don't want to. And we don't want to say the hard thing because we're afraid of being like this third category, the person who speaks the truth without a whole lot of love, the critic. We're afraid of becoming the judgmental person, right? The hypocrite who points out your flaws but doesn't see our own flaws. Maybe you've met this hypocrite, this judgmental critic before. They're the person who insists on being right even when being right causes them to be wrong. As long as I say what's true, it doesn't matter how I say it, doesn't matter how you receive it, doesn't matter if you like it, it's true and you should deal with it. Get over it. But unfortunately, when we become the one who has to always speak the truth and we forget about love, we become the voice that is just deafening. The voice that is heard over and over again, but it doesn't change anybody. In fact, when was the last time you were changed by somebody who just told you a little bit harsher and a little bit louder and a little bit more often you're wrong? Did that ever change your life? Rarely. And yet also our culture kind of swings between the enabler and the critic. We don't want to offend you so we'll say nothing or we just don't care and we'll say whatever we want and if you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine. And yet, none of these three positions are where Jesus calls us as Christians to live. I have to tell you something today that maybe you haven't heard before, and maybe you have, and you just haven't heard it from me recently. Becoming a Christian is really easy. Becoming a Christian has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the grace God gives, the forgiveness he pours out, the life he wants for you. Becoming a Christian is really easy. But being one, being one is much different. See, becoming a Christian has nothing to do with you. It's a gift God gives to you. But being a Christian is a daily choice to die to self and follow Christ. To set aside your own desires and your own wants and your own rights and love and serve others. To be a Christian requires us to live in this place of speaking the truth and loving. I put in this corner here the disciple. See, one who follows after Jesus, one who walks in the way of Jesus, speaks the truth in a loving manner. Everything Jesus said was true, and oftentimes what he said offended people. He often spoke the things they weren't expecting and the things they wanted to hear. He didn't say, but said something else altogether. But he always did it from this place of love. If we're to follow Christ and be like him, we have to speak the truth and we have to do so loving. So how do we avoid being the critic or the enabler or the antagonist who just doesn't care? How do we actually be this person who follows Jesus, who lives like we actually believe he's right? Well, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus speaks to this a little bit. You're welcome to follow along. Uh, if you go to thepointknox.com, we have it there for you. You're welcome to use your own Bible or your phone or just listen to these words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter seven, he's concluding his first major sermon, his first big time where he's sitting down and just talking, this is truth and this is God and this is what life is about. And he comes to chapter seven, a verse many of you have probably heard. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged. 
Have you ever heard that quoted? I feel that's thrown around in Christian circles all the time. It's thrown around even more when a Christian says something uncomfortable, right? If I tell you that it's really not okay for you to sleep with as many people as you want, because there's a lot of diseases and problems that can come from that, and if you're not careful, it will cause a lot of emotional pain. Well, don't judge me for my actions, Adam. I'm not judging your lifestyle. I'm admitting this isn't good. Like, if you were to be playing on train tracks and there's a train coming, I'm not judging you for saying, get out of the way of the train. No, I'm saying, I don't want you to get hurt with what's coming. Let me love you. We often hear, judge not, lest you be judged, and we stop right there. Well, judge not. Who am I to correct or criticize or challenge or change anything? That's you. You do you. I'll do me. It's okay. Judge not, right? I don't want to be judged, so therefore I shouldn't judge anybody. But we have to read what Jesus says in context because he continues. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, if we're going to judge others, if we're going to say the way you're living isn't good, if we're going to say the decisions you're making are unhealthy, if we're going to say Jesus has something better for you, be careful because the very things you're calling out in others may be the very things still inside of you. So when you want to be the one who says, don't gossip, it's not nice to talk about other people. And then you turn around and you're saying, did you hear what Adam said the other day? Did you see what Emily did the other day? And you begin talking about somebody, anybody behind their back. You're doing the very thing you said shouldn't be done. It says, however you judge others, it will be judged to you. And he continues in verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. See, for Jesus, this place of judgment comes not from telling somebody what you're doing is wrong or is unhealthy. Judgment is seeing all of their problems and their mess and their brokenness while ignoring or justifying or defending yours. Acting like yours isn't there at all but theirs is really important. See, if we want to speak the truth in love, if we want to have these hard conversations, you and I have to begin with perhaps the most uncomfortable place. Maybe we're the problem. Maybe our sinfulness is actually worse than their sinfulness. Jesus, he continues, he says this, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. See, if we want to love our neighbor and help them grow and we want to sharpen them to become who God made them to be and we want to see them experience all of God's goodness and his grace and his love and his kindness, how can we say we care about them if we're not seeing our own faults. And very practically, if you're actually trying to remove something from somebody's eye, but your eye is obstructed, how will you clearly see what's really the problem to actually help? See, I think most people with an addiction or with unhealthy relationships or with a spending problem they can't seem to change, most people, their sin is not the thing you first see. 
The things you see is a symptom of something else. An insecurity, a questioning where do I belong, a desire to be loved and a feeling like there's only one way to be loved. That's to do what other people tell me is right or what they say feels good. Most often the sin that's going on is not the thing we see, but something much deeper. God, are you really who you say you are? Will you really do what you've said you'll do? Can I believe in your grace for me? See, when we begin to see these areas of doubt and these areas of sin and the things that are hidden underneath, we can more accurately help with their real problem. But we, we can't do that with the log in our own eye. Now, two things here I think we need to note. First and foremost, Jesus says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? You see, throughout scripture, the language of brother and sister of family is used to describe the relationship of Christians with other Christians. If we want to speak the truth in love, we have to begin with the reality that we don't have to speak the truth in love to all people. It is not our responsibility to change everybody and to influence everyone and to convince everybody that what we know to be true is true. No, but to our brother, those that belong in the faith, that are a part of our community, that are a part of the body of Christ, we have an obligation to care for them and love them differently. And I start here because I think so often the voice of the church today is one that speaks the truth against non-Christians and those who are outside of the church while neglecting the truth for those who are inside of it. We as Christians have zero authority and zero responsibility and absolutely zero need to call the sin out in people who don't know Jesus. So if you feel the need to tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus that they're a sinner and the things they're doing, start with the log in your own eye. Where are you sinful? Where have you failed to love God and love others? But then after this, there's a really important thing. Verse five, you hypocrite. If you see their problems and not your own problems, you will fail them. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, first we need to know that we are not called to condemn the sin and the actions of people who are not Christian. But we are called to challenge Christians to love God and love others the way he tells us to. So first we have to see them as our brother somebody within the fold of the church, somebody belonging to Christ. And then we have to remove our own sinfulness. And oftentimes people hear this and they see in this, well, I'm still sinful, so I can't ever go to my neighbor. I can't ever go to my brother. I can't ever tell them to change or help them change. I can't have that hard conversation because I know I'm still sinful. To remove the log from our own eye first doesn't mean you become perfect. If you wait until your life is perfect to lovingly encourage and challenge anybody, you will never do so. See, you and I will not be perfect this side of Christ's return. 
It just won't happen. You will always sin and you will always do the wrong thing and you will always mess up and that's why we continually come back to Jesus. It's not about waiting until you're first perfect but coming to them from the place of somebody who's broken. Like, I've lately been learning a lot more about recovery ministry. And recovery for those who are addicts works best when it's led by somebody who's also an addict, who's been in recovery and been in that place of brokenness and despair and seen the mess that comes from this addiction and out of that place has said something different needs to happen. And the person who can come from that broken place and say, I know what it's like to be an addict. And I know the help I needed to overcome that. I'm here for you when you're ready. Out of that place, there's an opportunity for incredible healing. And you don't have to be an addict to offer healing and hope to others. Out of the place of seeing your sinfulness, which might be very different than their sinfulness, out of the place of seeing your desperate need for God to intervene, not just one time in the past, but every single day, out of the place of seeing just how much you cannot do the things you want to do without Jesus, out of that place, you come to them. I'm not challenging you or correcting you or trying to change you for my sake. I'm not doing it with a selfish ambition. I'm not doing it as one holier than thou. I'm doing it because I love you. And I'm doing it because I too have been desperately in need of a God who'd forgive me. There's a pastor from a few hundred years ago, a guy named Martin Luther, and he said this, and I really think it's a great quote. When it comes to being Christians, it's just like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I don't have the answers. I'm not the answer. I'm not the one who gets it right, but I am desperately in need of this very food that you also are in need of. So let me just show you how to find it. See, if we as a church want to love our neighbor, it's not enough to love them and never challenge the hurtful things they're doing. We have to have those hard conversations. But we only do so from a place of seeing we are no better than they are. It doesn't matter what their sin. Maybe you've never sinned in that visible sort of way. Maybe you've never sinned in that addictive sort of way. Maybe you've never sinned in the ways they have. It doesn't matter. You have sinned. And you still do sin. And you are still broken by sin. And out of that place, we look to Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me to see the weight of my sin. That it's like a log compared to a speck. That my sin is far greater than anything they are doing right now. And out of that place of humility and brokenness and genuine love, we approach our brother our sister, our boss, our coworker, other Christians, we say, I love you. And I want you to find this life that God has for you. Can I help you? And here's the deal. If we speak the truth in love and people reject it, that's on them. But if we speak the truth without love or if we refuse to speak the truth in the name of love, that's on us. 
We're not responsible for how they respond. But we are responsible for why did I feel the need to talk to them? And so what do we do when we get to that situation where we think our brother is hurting and doing something sinful and we need to say something? Begin with prayer. Jesus, is this my own ambition or yours? Jesus, is, am I the person who should speak into that? Or is there somebody else who can do it better? Am I the one who should be there for them like iron sharpens iron? Should I be the one to help sharpen them? Or am I just poking holes in them and making it worse? See, out of that place of prayer, we can begin to say, God, what really is the problem? And most importantly, what is the solution? And I don't care what your problem, your sin, your behavior, your thought process, I don't care what that log or speck is, the solution's really simple. You and I need Jesus. And so if we feel urged or compelled to speak the truth, we need to speak it from a place that sees Jesus as the hope and the solution only. Not just for you sinners, but for me as well. And then we need to go with confidence out of this place of humility and prayer and looking to Jesus. We need to go. And we need to talk to them. And I want to tell you, most people are not changed in a moment. If somebody you know is living in this sinful behavior that is causing them all kinds of harm, they're probably not going to be changed the instant you say something about it. So then what? We keep loving them. Period. If you attempt to speak the truth in love and in doing so you alienate yourself and you remove yourself and say, I can't have anything to do with you because you are so sinful, you are not loving your neighbor. No, instead we speak the truth and we continue to love. And they can continue in their harmful behaviors and we can continue to love and be there each and every opportunity God gives us. Say, I'm here for you whenever you're ready. I love you, whatever happens next. And I also need to tell you the truth that you're hurting yourself. And Jesus, Jesus is better than all of these things that you're doing and believing and holding to. Can I love you through this journey? Church, I believe wholeheartedly that when we love our neighbor enough to have the hard conversations, and we continue to love them afterwards, I believe that's where we're gonna see the greatest change in our communities. Not change that comes because you're right, not change that, become, that comes because you know the truth, but change that comes because you're not afraid of speaking it from a place of brokenness and love. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have loved us. God, I thank you that you not only spoke the truth, but you are the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And I thank you that you spoke the truth in love enough that you would give up your own life that we might have the log in our eyes removed. God, I thank you that you took all of our sin upon yourself, that we can look to you each and every moment of each and every day and see the weight of our brokenness and the hope that you offer, the life that you give.
I pray that you would encourage us to speak the truth in love. Where we have acted as the critic or the enabler, forgive us, challenge us, cause us to repent. Teach us to be motivated from a place that sees their worth and value and the grace that you want to give them today, tomorrow, and the next. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite the band up here. We're going to now together do something that we do most weeks, but we normally do it earlier in the service. Uh, What we're going to do now in a moment is something called confession and absolution. And if you're not familiar with that language or what that means, let me just be really clear. Each and every one of us is sinful. And your sin is certainly not bigger than my sin. In fact, of everybody in this room, I know for a fact I am the most sinful person. And my wife will attest to that. And so we confess our sins to God. He has promised that if we confess our sins one to another, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sin. So I want to take a moment and I want to invite you to think right now of those times recently where you've spoken the truth without love or where you've loved without speaking the truth or where you've said what you want to say and didn't care if it was true or loving. I want to invite you to take a moment and think about these things, and then we're going to confess together in one loud voice these words of confession on the screen, and we're going to hear the promise of his forgiveness together. Will you join me in prayer and thinking about these sins? God, we confess to you that we are broken individuals. Sometimes we love at the expense of speaking the truth. Sometimes we speak the truth at the expense of loving. God, sometimes we just want to be heard even if we're wrong and even if it's unloving. we confess that we are in every way broken, desperately in need of your grace. Help us today to see the log in our own eye that we might be equipped and prepared to help our brother remove the speck from theirs. Now God, we confess to you these words. Most merciful God, We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. God has promised that when we confess our sins, he is always going to forgive us. So now by the blood of Christ, on his authority and his behalf as a called and ordained servant, I forgive you all of your sins.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so this is the part of the service where we invite questions, and I do my best to respond as well as I can. So, Yeah, um, we have less this week than we have the last couple Ooh, weeks, actually. Um, that's just good. one question and one comment. I'll start with the comment. Someone out there loves your shirt. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It is a that. great shirt. I did my sister's wedding two years ago, and this was her thank you gift. And I was like, well, that's a great gift. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> um, second question. These hard conversations um, that we talked about, do these apply to people who aren't believers? I would say we certainly can have hard conversations with non-believers. Um, they become a lot more difficult because we have a different common ground. We don't have Jesus as the, the source and the one we look to, and so hard conversations with non-believers can happen. Like, if there's a non-believer who's struggling with addiction, you can talk to them about that addiction. But pointing them to the higher power, as most recovery says, uh, Jesus is really difficult. So yeah, you can have them. I would say, what kind of hard conversation with non-believers are you seeking to have? Are you seeking to convince them that you're right and you're understanding and they're wrong? Those conversations sometimes need to happen, but are probably not gonna happen very well with non-believers because you have a fundamentally different perspective of what's right and wrong. Um, are you seeking to say, don't play in front of the oncoming train? Definitely do that with non-believers too, all right? So. I don't know if that helps. That is the, la that is the wow. question. I was actually kind of nervous. Like, I thought today there'd be a couple of really tough ones and I'd be sweating. So thank you guys for that. Uh, you're welcome to still text them in throughout the week and we'll respond. Um, if we see them during the week, we'll respond during the week or next Sunday. Um, with that, thank you guys for being here in person. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.